When I was just eight years old, I had to testify in court against my paternal grandfather for sexual assault. I remember walking through the courtroom to the witness box and seeing my grandpa's cowboy hat on the table where he sat with his two high-powered attorneys. There was the clock on the wall that I stared at while I answered questions that no eight-year-old should ever have to answer. I still recall the disappointing outcome of him being found not guilty. My name is Kelly Wallace. I am a writer and sexual assault survivor. I've undergone decades of therapy to overcome what I experienced, and writing is a part of my healing process. In this podcast, we will talk with other writers who have also overcome sexual violence. Their stories are often neglected, but to me, they are an inspiration, and I'm excited to be able to share them with you. Welcome to Recognize Our Power. The topics we are discussing are sensitive and do come with a trigger warning. Please take care of yourself. If you are in need of resources, please visit our website, www.recognizeourpower.com, and click on the resources page. There's a lot of energy put into blocking, stopping, minimizing, derailing, and keeping at distance our truth. Yeah? They don't really want to know about this, Kelly, because it's uncomfortable. So for a survivor, we find it really hard to share. Welcome to the Recognize Our Power podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wallace. I'm grateful to be speaking to our guest today, Gloria Masters, who is the founder and CEO, author and advocate for all things child sexual abuse. She speaks from 16 years of lived experience and has set up a foundation called Handing the Shame Back, a nonprofit to help other survivors. She has managed to turn the corner of healing into giving back through highlighting the issue of child sexual abuse to bring attention to this silent endemic. She has written two books, a memoir on Angel's Wings, My Flight from Trauma to Grace, and the second book is Flight Path to Healing, a Guide for Child Sexual Abuse Survivors. The intent with her second is to support other survivors in their healing and recovery. She believes there is a way through and wants to help others by sharing what has worked for her. I was a guest on Gloria's podcast, Handing Back the Shame, several months ago, and I'm excited to have her on today. So Gloria, can you share for us a little bit about what your life was like growing up? Well, um, yeah, but hey, hi, Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Yeah, so look, I'm smiling and happy now. I think I'm more the child now than I was the first 16 years of my life. So really for me, I was just not seen as a child. In my opinion, I was an object. And that was from both my parents' perspective. So my father's in terms of he could make a great deal of money out of me through trafficking me and leasing me out to gangs and 
nightclubs and Freemasons and mm. friends and colleagues and he made a lot of money. And my mother saw me as an object in that I could look after her. So we know the term parentified child, that was definitely me. I was not seen, I was not recognised. It didn't matter if I had any needs, Kelly, they were certainly not going to be met. So, yeah, that was my childhood for 16 years. Wow. Yeah. And I noticed an accent for our listeners. Where are you from? <laughs> Thank you. Who's got the accent? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, born and bred Kiwi in New Zealand, so Auckland, mm -hmm. New Zealand. So at the moment for us, it's 11.15 a.m. on Friday. <laughs> so, yeah. And did you grow up in a rural environment, a city environment? Can you tell us like a little bit about what that was like for you in terms of where what part of the country you were raised in? Yeah, so I grew up in West Auckland and it was urban mm -hmm. as opposed to rural. But back in those days, you had the quarter acre section. So mm -hmm. quite a lot of land with a creek through the bottom of the property. My father was a plumber. My mother was a stay-at-home mum who then went on and did some some other part-time work. Mm -hmm. So, yes, quite an impoverished family, Catholic family, mm. and, yeah, did the dutiful church on Sunday, mm. religious schools, Catholic schools, all of the methodology and the process and the conditioning and the labelling that went with all of that. So on the one hand, I was like two parts. Part of me was a good Catholic girl that went to school and did what I was told mm. with the nuns, etc. And the other part was the best child sex slave I could be. Mm. So my father's mother and one of his sisters trained me in the art of seduction mm. when I was five years old. Mm. Wow. And wow. they did that because when I turned six, I was then seriously leased out to many important men and groups in our country. And they got paid a commission by my father, so money would change hands. Oh yes, so the intergenerational abuse and trauma was horrendous. So I never had a grandmother there loved me or mm. cared about me. It was uh, always trapped, always deceived, always manipulated and abused. And it was so money, a lot of money could be made, which it was. Wow. Mm. Did you did you go to school? Were there teachers who knew, like, did they notice anything? I mean... What was that like for you? Yeah, so the abuse began when I was an infant and carried yeah. on until oh, I was 16. So I, I, mm. that's what my memoir is, that first book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it went on, and as children do, we don't necessarily talk about stuff, but we show through our play and through our behaviour and through our actions. So in every way I could, I was screaming for help. I was 
always in trouble, always the naughty one, always attention seeking. And partly I did that at school because it was my only safe place. So I never wanted to leave. And for me, Kelly, at the age of 11, my parents separated. And I was left with my father and my brother for 18 months in his care. And then the horror really ramped up. So there were lots and lots of psychological torture, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and again, a huge amount of money being made. So did teachers notice? Yes, they did. Mm. What did they do? What did teachers do in those days? Call the parents. And they still do. Call the parents in. What do they ask the parent? What's going on at home? What do you mm. think the parents say? If, Everything's if, great. If they're enabling or they're a gatekeeper, they're never going to speak. Welcome to my mother. If they're the psychopathic pedophile abuser, money maker, never going to speak. So... I just became the vilified black sheep. Mm. Wow. Wow. So there's how... A lot, there's a lot more. Uh, I've only yeah. scraped the surface. I was uh, made to perform in over 100 pornographic movies. Again, made a lot of money out of those. I was leased out of a high-class brothel up in our red light district in Auckland and that was I was chained in onto a bed and from the age of 11 to till I was 16 I would spend a lot of weekends in that room and again many people made a lot of money out of me Mm -hmm. uh, through the men that were happy and women that were happy to sexually abuse me horrific absolutely horrific But wait, there's more. Satanic ritual abuse, so through the Freemasons as well. Forced abortions on me at my grandmother's hands. So this goes on and on and on. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that to shock you or your audience. I'm just putting, I'm trying to shine light on this so that Mm -hmm. other survivors feel there's hope and a way forward. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for for sharing that and how just how absolutely horrific. How did you get away from from it? How did you escape? Till the day I was sixteen, I was mm-hmm. I was made to be part of it. The day I turned sixteen, that was it, and I never saw my father again, ever, wow. once willingly. Wow. So at family funeral, wedding, whatever, he would be there, but I never willingly spoke to him again. Wow. Mm. And so you're 16, and do you continue on with college? Do you go get a job? What What's life like for you? Yeah, a nightmare, um, mm-hmm. as you can appreciate. So because I've been conditioned to not be seen and not accepted for who I was, which, as we know, all children are beautiful and what a gift. But because that was never afforded me, I developed what we call a false self. And so that false self took me years to unpack that and 
slowly meet and greet who I really was. Mm. And that took decades, Kelly. So in the meantime, once I left school and into early adulthood, I just kept on abuse in terms of self-abuse. Mm. So sleeping with any and everybody, mm. drinking too much, hanging out with, you know, people I shouldn't be. Yeah. At what point did you get any, did you get any type of help or therapy or anything along those lines? Yeah, look, I, I repressed it all, as you can appreciate. I had six yeah. years of horror. So I, mm-hmm. my mind said, no, thanks. Mm-hmm. It wasn't till I became a mother, interestingly, that mm-hmm. the memories started to flood back. And uh, from that point on, I just went into therapy. Wow. And can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like? I, I mean, as as I know from experience, having a really good therapist is really essential to recovery. Did you yeah. find a therapist right off the bat who was sympathetic to what was going on or did, what was your therapeutic experience? Yeah, like? uh, look, and I've been with many and to this day, uh, not not so much now, but if I need to, I I, go, I will go and see a therapist. Right. Why? Because it helps me unpack stuff that never belonged to me. And so that's why I set up Handing the Shame Back, actually, because to me, the shame never belonged to us as survivors. Mm-hmm. And yet unwittingly and subconsciously, we carry the shame because we know it's wrong. Right, wrong. right. So take us back a little bit to you have a series of relationships it sounds like that maybe just that with the self-abuse it sounds like you went and had a child was that were you married at that point did you yes find someone that you trusted oh no oh no (laughs) no (laughs) I pulled in people we have a template when we're conditioned as children we naturally attract into us that which feels familiar. So I've been married a couple of times and, you know, with respect, it was highly unlikely I would ever attract good, Mm -hmm. loving, emotionally available, kind men. Think about it. So, (laughs) no. But I'm very (laughs) grateful. I, I have two amazing kids who are now adults. And, yeah, that, that, you know, beautiful. Beautiful. Yes, yes. So can you walk us through a little bit about how did you recover those those repressed memories? I know sometimes it just takes something in our daily lives to, to bring those back. You I know you mentioned having a child brought some of those back. What was what was that process like? Oh uh, I to be honest, if I hadn't been a mum, I don't know that I would be here. Mm. The horror of those 16 years came at me in the form of initially nightmares. So I would go to sleep at night, but I was too scared because I'd be woken up with all these images coming at me. Mm. And uh, that was really, quite frankly, apart from... The abuse itself, that was the worst time of my life mm. because I was reliving it and I didn't understand it 
And when I took it to the family, it was, I then became uh, Davoed, which as we know is mm-hmm. deny, attack, reverse, victim, offender. So I, they very cleverly and quickly turned me into the offender by causing mm-hmm. them grief by even suggesting anything had happened. So I then started to doubt my own sanity But the truth was I started getting very visceral or having very visceral reactions and uh, tasting and smelling and seeing people come towards me and just going into a, you know, they're coming to attack me and having to run. And, of course, they weren't. They were coming to do some work on the property next Mm. door on a shared driveway. But... Those things you you don't imagine, and I quickly learned to trust myself. And, uh, yeah, I lost my family quite suddenly and then my mother three more times over my life because I dared to uh, expose this and keep Mm -hmm. coming forward with this. Mm. Yeah. Were were you an only child or do you have siblings? No, I have siblings Legally, I can't really talk about them. Yeah. They are in the book, but legally, I don't have permission. I can talk about me. Totally yeah. fine. Yeah. So you you have a child. Do you continue with school? Do you go out and get a job? What is your professional life like after all of that? After the memories? Yeah. Yeah, so I had two children. Um, uh-huh. Yes, yeah, so interestingly, I was drawn to child and adolescent psychotherapy, so I went and studied that, thinking I would be fine. But, of course, it was so triggering for me because we're studying child sexual abuse and we're studying behavioural change in children and impact. What was I thinking, Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> Hello? So so that was quite traumatic, but I did it. I set up my own clinic and ran that, and that was successful. And then I just got burnt out with it, so I moved into a more professional capacity of working in, in workplaces and helping people with, you know, communication and um, relationship, professional relating and that sort of thing. You're listening to Recognize Our Power. I'm Kelly Wallace. My guest is Gloria Masters. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. I'm Kelly Wallace, and this is Recognize Our Power. I'm talking with Gloria Masters. So talk to me a little bit about how you came about writing your story in your memoir. Yeah. So look, that, again, it was it was sort of not a game of two halves, but there were two parts to it. The first part was, wow, how cathartic. And I actually made connections, Kelly, that I hadn't previously, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
So I'd kind of, for instance, my father had always been the monster, and I call him that in the book. My mother had always been just a shame she didn't want me in her life because I was being honest. So I hadn't been able to really quite confront the her neglect and abandonment mm-hmm. of me. So she's what we call a complex narcissist, wounded narcissist. So I made some really quite telling connections, and mm-hmm. that was really cathartic for me. Then the, the other part, what was I thinking? What triggered tearful, uh, so uh, traumatised by my story. And the worst was the writing released, but then I, very cleverly, I thought, Kelly, I'll do an audio version. Oh, no. (laughs) It's one thing to read. Read it, yeah. But to say it out loud, oh, that that was a hard, hard, horrible week. And yeah. took me straight back into feeling like that child. It was terrible. Mm. But I'm great now. It took me three years to write that book. And, okay. uh, yeah, is it an easy read? No. Will it make you feel good? No. But what it does do is it's truth and uh, it comes from a place of, hey, this stuff goes on. It didn't just all begin in 2022. And it's also a way to offer vindication and validation to other survivors who think, I can't cope with this. And all I'm here to very humbly say is, there's always a way. Right, right. Yeah. And I know for myself, I'm on my 12th year of writing my memoir, and I've had to take like a lot of breaks. Did you find yourself having to take time away, or did you just keep going forward with <laughs> I wish I'd had your wisdom <laughs> I, I was like a, a truck I just kept trucking on uh, <laughs> but there, there was a part of me to be fair I'd been in recovery from this now for 25 years and I felt look I really wanted to get it out there and Stefan was actually my very first uh, oh. my very first interview um, wow. But look, I guess uh, very proud of that work and, you know, really it is just to expose what goes on in it. It helps to me. It's a real living thing on Angel's Wings and when people see the cover they go, what a beautiful book. And then they read it and they go, what a nightmare of a book. <laughs> I've got it here if you want me to show you. Yeah, show show us what. So this is yeah. the cover, Kelly. Yes, yes. And I chose the image of an 11-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And you may not be able to see, but the around her are angels' wings. I see them, yes. yes and yes. light is coming down. Yeah. And it's uh, my, on angels' wings, my flight from trauma to grace. But I love that because, to me, that was the worst time in my life was that 11-year-old and what I was subjected to. So, yeah. Yeah. So you've written a second book, which is a guide to helping survivors. What are some ways that you that are helpful not only to yourself but that are helpful for other survivors? Yeah. So to me, what's what's really key is – 
the trusting your instinct and valuing what you know is true because there's a lot of energy put into blocking, stopping, minimizing, derailing and uh, keeping at distance our truth. Right. Yeah. So for the general population, in my opinion, across the world, they don't really want to know about this, Kelly, because it's uncomfortable. So for a survivor, we find it really hard to share. Mm-hmm. Then when you share, people make comments like, oh, do you really need to talk about it? Or, oh, well, that's in the past now. And so we get shut down. Mm -hmm. So as a new survivor, a person who's newly recovered memory, how confident do you think they then are to continue to share? Yeah, not so much. So my first thing really to everybody with love is trusting self. And, uh, yeah, the, the book is actually written, it's a flight path. It's it's flight path to healing. Yes, yes. So it's an aeronautical theme. So you start with a boarding pass, and I allocate each survivor and each reader a boarding pass because you have it. Why? Because you're a survivor. Mm-hmm. So without realizing it, you've earned your seat on the plane. Very true, very true, very true. And I think, too, we then traverse through sections in the book, like what what are common symptoms to us as survivors? How can we manage those? Some healing modalities that I can only talk on what helped me, but I Mm -hmm. chose 11 of those and give a little bit about what they are and how they worked in my life. Each chapter in the beginning is... A theme, and it, you know, as a youngster, ex- exercise and moving my body was huge for me. Mm-hmm. So when I look at the chapter on exercise, I um, I actually have a whole area around how I used exercise then, and then as an adult, when I recovered, started recovering, how exercise helped me then. Then I have exercise sections at, to the reader, so. Things like they fill out some. Gotcha. Yes. Some, this is on each of those themes, and then the very end of each chapter, I've created these beautiful mantras. Nice. So, people, these are perforated and they're thick cardboard, so people can remove them from the book, and put them on a a mirror or a bedside table or a driving console. Yeah. And it's just a way to reinforce. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And then at the, at the we work our way through the book and we get to the end section, Shock Horror, which is your flight path. And this is where you fill in your travel itinerary, your travel destination, log, and it's, in, it's this sort of thing. But the way you fill it in, Kelly, is through, <laughs> for instance, Exercise and meditation may have been two key areas of self-help mm-hmm. for you. Uh, so that goes in your travel itinerary. Um, maybe for you uh, in your self-awareness section of the book, uh, symptoms that were common to you were flashbacks and hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. So that gets put in. Yeah. So it becomes a whole table. And then at the very end, I've created a passport which is a CSA survivor degree. 
<laughs> Love it. And again, that is perforated. That is your passport. And can I, I read it to you? Sure. This CSA survivor degree is what it is. This passport entitles the traveller to live the rest of their life in peace and harmony. This cannot be returned, refunded or exchanged. The bearer has waited a lifetime for this trip. Then they date it, they sign their name and they put in the survivor years, in, in other words, the knowledge of their re recovery, the knowledge of their CSA and how long they've spent on their healing. So with awesome. love from me to all survivors. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. I know you mentioned um, meditation and, and mantras. What are some other devices or tools that you've used to help on your healing process? I know we talked about therapy. What else? Yeah. So again, exercise was big for me because yeah. I was so often trapped or tied up or locked down. And so for me, freedom to move was always very big. And if I could move, I could run, I could escape, and I mm -hmm. could hide. So exercise helped me, but it did more than that. It actually, of course, released the endorphins, which gave me a slightly happier state of being. Yes. Things like study. If I could study as a child... My mind was on that rather than in the now. And so things like a spelling bee was a big deal for me as an 11-year-old because I could put all my focus in there and hide outside with my list of spelling bee words and do those. <laughs> and then again in my 30s when I started recalling memory, mm. I went back to university, as you know, and, and studied the so study was great, a great healing modality for me. That's that's fantastic, and, and it gave me autonomy over something. So yeah, uh, there's there's quite a few of those as well. But things like that really help. And uh, look, we're all different. Music's another one. I loved music; took me out of myself. Could change mm -hmm. a mood like that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we're yes. we're all different, and what works for you is fantastic. Totally. totally. If it's rock climbing, I won't be joining you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I, um, I, so often I would, I gravitated towards, uh, exercise that was, you know, like running or playing lacrosse. And they were, they were activities that were really in my head. And when I started writing, I had a writing instructor who was like, you're writing too much from your head, you need to go take some yoga or some Pilates classes that are really going to be about grounding and, and movement. And due to injuries, that those are the Pilates and yoga are the primary exercises that I that I do today. So how fantastic okay. that you have these modalities to help you cope. And you started a podcast. How long has your podcast been going? Yeah, so Handing the Shame back on YouTube began in January this year. Oh. I had, I had wow. one subscriber, Kelly, for wow. about six weeks. <laughs> now we're building up to nearly a 1,000. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, look, it just takes time. And uh, I moved my ego out of the way and just... Uh, give from the heart and so look if one survivor 
feels connection with what another survivor shares, as in your story, you know, the comments people make or the mm-hmm. solidarity they feel, well, that's so humbling. There's nothing greater than that. Definitely. So, yeah, it's it's on YouTube, but it's also a, a podcast through any of the main podcast providers. So, right. Yeah. And you have a – tell us about your foundation that you've set up. Yes, so that got – accepted and is a charity here in New Zealand and it's called Hand in the Shambling.org <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's really just again providing a place for people in terms of less isolation but resource and support to help them through their journey. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not pretending to be anything it isn't like I'm not the guru on you should do this or try that at all it's more around hey here's some ideas on what what worked or here's a blog that may help support where you're at right now so people can go to your to the handing the shame back website and find resources what else can they find Oh, so survivor stories, they can find podcast content, they can find blogs, they can find tips that help support survivors. So if you're a a wife or a sister or a an uncle or a dad of someone who has been abused, there's a whole section on tips for supporting survivors like us. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What words of advice or wisdom would you give to someone who is really interested in sharing their story in starting to write? Any words of advice that you would give to someone who's wanting to go down that path? Who wants to write their memoir, you mean? Yeah. Oh. Or just write in general. Oh, yeah, look, you can't rush it because we're dealing with the very deepest trauma and memory of our lives so if you feel you've got to get it out in a certain time frame it won't be for you because you'll know when it feels right because it's done but as I say it took me three years to write that book Mm -hmm. and if I could go back and change it now there's not a lot I would but if I'd published it when I initially thought it might be ready, I would regret it. Yeah. So I think my advice is take your time. Secondly, start doing it. If it's in your head, it's because it's something that needs to happen. So take your time. Start with a chapter or a theme at a time mm-hmm. um, and just trust the words will come the way they're meant to. I highly believe in editors. I had a few editors. Mm-hmm in this first book, The Memoir, till I found the right one. Right. Because I'm not an expert in anything. I'm simply a survivor. But what I found was being able to take my work to someone who was a professional meant they could tidy it up or give me some ideas. And I changed a few few times, actually. But I found a wonderful editor who, who yeah. Fantastic. And... Where can people find you? So I'm at handingtheshameback.org. We have a contact page Mm -hmm. on there. 
also through the channel, I do, I'm one of those people, to me, if you've made the effort to make a comment, I will reply. Or I will notice that you have and I'll love your comment. But anyone, they're very welcome to reach out through there. And you've got show notes you'll put below. Oh, yes. Anyway, yeah. Yes. Um, in terms of the books, they're on gloriamasters.com. They're both in full, all, all varieties, all versions. So audio, paperback, hardback, and Kindle, and ebook. Awesome. So for ebook and uh, ebook and um, audio, go to GloryMasters.com. We're cheaper than Amazon, but otherwise, yeah, Amazon's got it everywhere as well. So awesome! Yeah, can I show you this? Oh yes, look at That's that cover! Great, great cover! Great cover! How did you decide to come up with the that theme? Well, it's interesting because I don't know. I'd thought. The word flight path kept emerging in, in my head and I've learned to trust myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I quite liked that because someone had said, oh, you should just call call it one voice or one voice. But there's so many million titles with that sort of thing. And I thought, you know what, I just want it to have a point of difference. And to me, we're on the plane whether we want to be or not, which <laughs> was, it's, we've experienced. <laughs> what we have right so, and then I thought flight path and I, I nearly called it my flight path and I thought no because actually I'm writing this as a guide so there's exercises to do through the whole book um and and the thing is I want people to feel they it's their book it's their flight path and it's it's a guide for child sexual abuse survivors awesome. um, yeah thank That's you fantastic. so yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll link in the show notes to all your socials and the website. And to find out more about our podcast, please follow us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, or visit our website, www.recognizeourpower.com. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends. If you have an extra few seconds, please leave us a review to help the algorithm. I'd like to thank my guest today, Gloria Masters. I'm your host, Kelly Wallace. This podcast is produced by Three Wire Creative.